We would like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the, the convention, Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The program committee has worked hard this weekend to bring you speakers from all over our region so that we can get geographical diversity and hear from members who are in recovery who come from a variety of backgrounds. Um, and in fact, uh, we total it up. We have this weekend for you 81 speakers, including, including, and, I, and I'll make this quick, uh, there are 21 panels, 19 marathons. Each panel has three. We have workshops, plus our five keynote speakers, of which I'm going to introduce the first. Um, our keynote speaker this evening is someone that I've heard some great things about. I don't know him personally, but he comes well recommended from all over the area. And we're, we're very excited to have him share his recovery. And I'd like to introduce him to you right now, Grisha H. from San Francisco. And Grisha is going to share for you for about 30 minutes. Okay. Go for it, my friend. Thank you. Ooh, hey, family. I'm Grisha, compulsive overeater. I was telling Michael that I was feeling very nervous. He said, don't worry. OA is a really nice crowd. They're not going to throw tomatoes at you or anything. And I thought, well, that would be an interesting way to change your food plan. Get rid of some excess food. Um, thank you so much for asking me to speak. It's um, an honor to be up here, and it's exciting to be up here and a part of this family. Um, thank you to everyone who organized the convention. I have uh, a long time ago, I was a conference planner, so I know what kind of work is involved in putting these things together, and it's, it's a lot of work. And I assume that you're not just doing it. Uh, you have other full-time responsibilities outside of OA. So thanks for putting it on. Um, blueprint. I was trying to think of a joke for Blueprint to open up with, and I couldn't think of anything except that maybe the stretch marks on my ass could be a blueprint. <laughs> of a different kind of progress. So um, anyway, I'm going to just stick to the format, what uh, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, wow. OA has definitely changed my life and in so many ways. It's hard to squeeze it into 30 minutes, um, but I'll give it a shot. So uh, some statistics. I am 43 years old, and I came into program at 30 years old. Uh, I've been abstinent 13 years, and um, I am a 100-pounder. My top weight was about 320 pounds, and actually I actually have some uh, copies of pictures I could spin, spin around. Um, so, yeah, what it was like, I uh, it was intense, right, when you're a compulsive overeater, and especially if you're morbidly obese like I was, it's intense. It's um it's hard to live that way on the inside and the outside. And um, I struggled for a long time. I was I'm from a family, a big family. I was number six, the last of uh, six kids. My mom had me when she was 40, and I think she hadn't planned on that. She, uh, My brother, next, uh, next in age, is nine years older than me. Uh, but I come from a long line of compulsive eaters, drinkers, drug addicts, chain smokers. We definitely have this disease in our family. And um, for a long time, it was a lot of fun. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie about that. You know, uh, growing up in a big household with lots of siblings and then uh, very quickly lots of grandchildren. And um, 
my dad was retired military and uh, we, he shopped, my mom shopped at the commissary, which meant you get lots of lots and lots of food for really cheap. And uh, also cartons and cartons of cigarettes for really cheap. And so my house was a party house. It was uh, oftentimes on the weekends, my dad would make a big pot of chili and get a bunch of beer and everybody would gather at the house and, you know, huge family, lots of kids screaming and running around, stereo playing, uh, a lot of eating, a lot of drinking. Uh, sometimes if the back patio door was open, it looked like the house was on fire because cigarette smoke was billowing out. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of consuming went on in our family. And that's, um, that's, the, that's the stock I'm from. Um, I, since I was the, the youngest and a lot of my siblings are much older, uh, my oldest brother is 18 years older than I am. A lot of my siblings moved away. They got married. They had kids. Um, they moved out of the house and had started their own lives. And I always like to jokingly say that, you know, my mom used to shop for six kids, but when everybody moved out and it was just me, she still had to shop for six kids. <laughs> I ate a lot of food. And um, I was kind of a little wiry, skinny kid until about 12 years old. And who knows what happened, you know, it just got triggered. It's like the disease came to life in me. Um, I was a latchkey kid. Both my parents worked full time. They left early in the morning and they came home late in the afternoon. Um, all my siblings had moved out. At some point, me and my family moved, me and my mom and dad moved from just outside of Washington, D.C., out into a really rural part of Maryland. And um, I was a new kid. I quickly became the fat kid. Uh, my parents were old compared to other, other parents. And I just felt like a really different and weird person. I wore different clothes. You know, I grew up in sort of a um, a ghetto-y neighborhood, you know, it didn't matter what you wore to school as long as you were wearing clothes and that they were clean, maybe. And, um, you know, it was, there was not a lot of um, competition, if you will. And I moved to this new neighborhood where you had to wear a certain kind of shoes, a certain kind of jeans, a certain kind of haircut, a certain kind of cool jacket. I didn't have any of that stuff. And um, I remember at some point sort of whining to my father and he, he agreed to take me shopping for some new clothes and I made all the wrong choices. I ended up, I remember I got all these jeans that were on sale and they were bell bottoms and it was just the end of bell bottom time. And, um, and it was a tragedy for me, you know. So very different. Um, I discovered food as a way to escape and um, I loved eating and eating would um, take care of the pain a lot of times. So I'd get up in the morning and I'd start eating um, during the summer when my parents were at work, I would eat my way through the day, watching television, isolating, no friends, new, you know, new, new neighborhood, no new friends, no uh, courage to go outside and explore. And so that's when I just <clears throat> started to really balloon. And that's when food became my number one addiction. And um, I slowly began to gain weight. Again, I was the fat kid. By junior high school, that movie had come out in the 80s called Porky Porky's. So that was my nickname in school. Someone started calling me Porky. And, um, you know, most people would consider that really awful and run home crying. But I decided to embrace it. I am fat and I am Porky. And then I became this, you know, I used humor as a way to kind of disguise my shame and my pain. And I became this sort of gregarious, funny, Porky kid. And uh, But on the inside, I was really hating, hating, hating myself and really unable to control the food. And, you know... Parents saying things like, oh, you need to watch it. And, you know, people saying fat jokes and people talking about diets. And, um, you know, as a preteen and a teenager, who knows how to handle that stuff? Um, I just ate more. 
Uh, at some point, I started using drugs and alcohol, which is another part of my story, and um, you know, accelerated drug and alcohol use throughout high school and my early 20s. Um, I tried, I had the brother that I'm closest to age, let's see, I graduated from high school, which was a miracle. I barely went to high school. I, I was truant. I hated school. I hated being around people. Like uh, I had a few friends, and we would cut school together. And we would, it was when MTV had first hit the air. And so we would um, go to all the fast food restaurants. We'd make a big circle. And we would go to 7-Eleven, KFC, and Taco Bell. And then we'd come back home, and we'd just have our food, and we'd sit and smoke and drink and smoke pot and eat and watch television videos. And that was where I was comfortable. You know, we were all obese, some of us more than others. And um, and that was when I was comfortable. But going to school was, was painful, so I tried to go as little as possible. Um, moved out of the house right away as soon as I graduated from high school, and I moved in with one of my brothers. And so then uh, I was free. I didn't have to – I had my own job. I had my own apartment with my brother. Um, we partied a lot. Um, I bought, I could just eat however I wanted to. Nobody was looking over my shoulder. And, um, and I would do the same kind of loop where I lived there. There was a 7-Eleven, there was a KFC, there was a, a liquor store. And I would just make that continual loop all the time. And um, my, my size grew and grew. And at some point I hit a bottom in, uh, with drugs and alcohol and I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And... Um, put down drugs and alcohol. I went to my first uh, AA convention in New York, the Big Apple Roundup, and uh, my first workshop was called Out of the Bar and Into the Refrigerator. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that's where I went. So, um, you know, food became, without drugs and alcohol, food became the best way to kill the pain and my good friend, so to speak, which is really my worst enemy. And um, so for, uh, for years, I, I continued to eat compulsively, be in the food, um, you know, I, I, I have this sort of snapshot, snapshot image of myself being in my dark basement apartment in Washington, D.C., you know, curtains drawn, phone turned off, uh, porno, smoking cigarettes, drinking and doing drugs, and eating. Just like a cesspool, you know. And like, just so, and so much pain, but like, no way out. And so um, I got sober, went to the workshop, I started um, working the steps. And I started working the 12 steps and my life began to change in miraculous ways. Um, you know, as the steps do, they changed my life and things got better and better and better. One of the things that I consider was really great was I got to move to San Francisco. It was a lifelong dream of mine. And I had actually uh, event planning took me to San Francisco for the first time. And um, I went out there uh, and just fell in love with the city. And so eventually I moved there. Well, I got to San Francisco and I thought, well, this is California. Everybody's really healthy, fruits and nuts and exercise and sunshine. And, um, and I thought, this, you know, it's going to change. Things are going to change. They didn't. In fact, it got worse um, because then again, I was in a new city. I didn't know very many people. I had to find a job. I was unemployed. I was scared. Um, it was overwhelming. And so I did a lot of eating. Well, what happened was, and uh, I used to go out to dinner a lot with friends in AA, and there was one friend in particular who uh, pulled me aside one night and he said, you know, you don't know this about me, but I was uh, abstinent and Overeaters Anonymous for five years. I had lost 100 pounds, and I'm in relapse right now, and I want to go back to OA. And I've heard you complain over and over about, um, about your problem with food, and I wonder if you want to go to an OA meeting. 
And at that point, I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, I knew the 12 steps. I had worked them um, thoroughly with a sponsor, and I could not for the life of me imagine how they would apply to food. And um, I also had been to a, a How OA meeting in Virginia back in the days when I lived with my brother. He and I, I left out that part, he and I would compete. Every once in a while we'd join a commercial diet program or we'd try something, you know, the grapefruit diet, the Atkins diet, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystems, Jenny Craig, the starvation diet, the, you know, what color is your food diet, all these different things. And um, we would compete and we would lose a lot of weight. And we'd go to my mom's house on the weekend and put on vinyl jogging suits and rake leaves and, you know, lose 10 pounds in a weekend. And then, you know, ultimately we'd kind of be looking out the other eye waiting for one of us to relapse off the diet and uh, and then all bets were off. And it was like back to the races and we could go back to food and back to eating together. So that happened a lot. So anyway, that meeting and that meeting, that how meeting to me was in that category. And it was also very scary because I went and they held hands and said prayers. And I thought that was really bizarre. So um, I had left that meeting kind of scared and running. And um, so I thought when this, you know, when this friend said to me, do you want to go to a meeting? I thought, well, I had I really had no faith at all that it would work for me. But I thought I was willing to go to a meeting because, I mean, I really do love the 12 steps. And by that at that point, I had been in the program for eight years and love, love, love the 12-step recovery and the fellowship that comes along with it and, you know, the, the change that the 12 steps can bring about in one's life. And, that, and so um, I went. And at that point, I really remember, you know, sort of, I say like eating shamelessly, but really I was completely filled with shame. But I would go out to dinner and I would eat my meal, a huge meal, in five minutes. And as soon as someone at the table was you know, done and said, oh, I'm stuffed, I can't eat anymore. I said, do you mind can I switch my plate with yours and finish yours for you? And, oh, sure. You know, people look at me kind of odd. I didn't care. I did care, but I pretended not to care. But I really just wanted more food. And I would just often, I would often do that, you know, at a taqueria or something, just change plates, change plates around the table until I ate everyone, finished everyone's plates off. So um, I, I realized at some point, or I thought to myself at some point, this is it. I'm from a big-boned family. I'm a big-boned guy. I'm never going to be thin. Fuck it. And uh, that was where I, that was my mentality. I was just eating, you know, just eating as much as I wanted to. Um, and just, uh, you know, a day for me would be wake up, eat a box of cereal, go to work and stop at the bagel place and get uh, two or three bagels. Then stop midday, stop mid-morning, go get a snack, go have a huge lunch, stop midday, go have a snack, go home and eat, go out to, pe- to fellowship with, with people after a meeting and eat, come home and eat pass out. So a lot of eating. And I just say that because I want people, especially newcomers, to know that, like, um, if I can do it, you can do it. Because I want you to know that I was in the food in the most tragic and desperate way. I was really out of control. And I was in a lot of pain. I was 320 pounds. I had asthma. I had bone spurs on my heels. Everything hurt. I was always hot and sweaty. You know, I... You know, I barely fit in a plane seat. I was always at the movie theater or on a plane or anywhere where I was sitting next to someone. I was hanging over into their seat and trying to, you know, be as small as possible in my huge body. Clothing was a pain, you know, like I kept going up and up and up. And I was, you know, getting a 48-inch waist was really tight for me um, when I got abstinent. And um, it it was painful, you know, like the material between your legs wears out on your pants. Um... 
you know, you have all these different sizes. You keep thinking, what's the next big size? What's the next big size? Going into a mall and thinking, I can't shop anywhere here. There's not one store unless there's a Lane Bryant. And I did, I did shop there in the, androg- in the androgynous 80s, I must say. But, um, you know, there'd be complete entire malls where I couldn't find something to fit me. So anyway, and I walked to OA and I heard instantly someone tell their story and it sounded a lot like mine except for the recovery part so at that point. And, um, and that's when I started working OA. And I knew from my 12-step experience that I had to kick ass in this program if I wanted recovery. So instantly, I started going to a lot of OA meetings. I let some the other AA meetings slide a bit. Started going to lots of OA meetings. One in particular was a writing meeting on Saturday mornings. And I, would, I got the OA workbook and the 12 and 12, and I would go to that writing meeting and I would write my steps. I met my sponsor at the at the meeting that followed the writing meeting. She and I would meet after the meeting and talk about what I wrote. And I, you know, we worked on a food plan together and I got abstinent right away. My food plan uh, at that time was three meals a day with nothing in between and no sugar. And I thought that'd be really easy because, well, not easy, but fairly easy. I didn't think I ate a lot of sugar until I started reading the labels on things. And then I realized that that was kind of a, it was a, it was something to get used to. And, um, so, first step for me was completely easy. I know I'm powerless, no question. I have a food inventory and an eating history to prove it a hundred times over. The second step for me was uh, a little bit tricky. I mean, I came into the meeting and I knew right away, well, if these people are, have been abstinent for, you know, five and ten and twenty and thirty and forty years, well, then there's maybe hope for me. Um, the God thing was a little tricky for me. I grew up... Uh, I grew up and my my uh, my mom was Catholic and my dad was I don't know what he was, but my mom insisted that we be Catholic, which meant that we all were forced to go to church every Sunday, except she didn't have to go. She stayed home. And so <laughs> I didn't quite understand that logic. And then my dad would often uh, my dad was an alcoholic and he would often take us to the King's Parlor Inn, his favorite bar. Um, during Sunday Mass, and we would he would drink at the bar with his pals, and we would eat potato chips and drink soda and play pinball, and then we'd go home and be like, church was great, Ma. <laughs> so my idea about church was a little cloudy. I know I, I, did, um, I did like the part where you went up and got a piece of bread. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> if nothing else, I could look forward to a snack during church. So my idea of higher power stuff was a little bit cloudy, but, you know, what happened... What happens in these rooms is a higher power for me. I mean, there's some kind of, you know, higher power at work in these rooms because all I know is I was never able to do the things by myself that I'm able to do in 12-step recovery. And so I had to latch on to that power. It was the power of OA. It was the power of the 12-step fellowship. It was the power of people who were abstinent before me and told me how to do it. And I came to believe that that power, OA, you people, um, and any other kind of divine power that might be out there uh, could restore me to sanity. And step three for me was um, making the decision to get abstinent. And again, I didn't think I could do it. I, I had been on lots of diets. I had tried lots of different things. And I had a lot of uh, struggles with willpower and nothing seemed to work. So I didn't really know if I could, I didn't know what it meant. Turn your will over. Turn your life over. Hmm made a decision. So anyway, I I had a sponsor that would say to me, you might not know what God's will is for you, but you know what you probably know what it isn't. 
and you can start from there. So, okay, God's will, your will, anybody with a conscience's will, it's not for me to sit in an apartment drinking, doing drugs, eating compulsively, chain-smoking cigarettes, isolating, and wanting to die. Okay, so I make a decision <laughs> to not go there. And for me, that meant staying sober, which I had had some experience doing, and it meant staying abstinent. And at that point, you know, my meal plan was three meals a day with nothing in between and no sugar, and I practiced that meal plan one meal at a time, and I stayed abstinent no matter what. And I always like to tell the one story. I was three days abstinent. I had made the decision. I'm going to be abstinent on this food plan. I was three days abstinent and uh, got to work, got back from work, got back to work from lunch, had an abstinent lunch while I was out, but I came back and there was a huge piece of German chocolate cake in my cube. And people at work knew me as the person to help clean out the conference rooms after lunches or <laughs> birthday parties because I, I love to clean out the conference rooms when there's food involved. So anyway, someone left me this nice gift and I thought, well, fuck it. It's only been three days. I have to eat it. It was a gift. It's my favorite. It looks delicious. Hmm. Well, I was willing to pick up the phone and I called that one person that 12 set me into OA and I said, there's a piece of cake in my cube. <laughs> and he said, OK, well, put me on hold. Take the cake into the kitchen and put it in the trash and then squirt some dish soap on it so you don't eat it out of the trash later. So I just put him on hold and there was a little red light flashing and I went into the kitchen with it and I looked around to make sure nobody was looking and I put it in the trash and I squirted dish soap and I went back and I picked up the phone and he said, you're abstinent. Have a nice day. And I was, that was my first, yeah. So that was the first, you know, and for a, comp a newly abstinent compulsive overeater, that was intense. That was an intense moment, you know. That's like dangling from a cliff. And the pouring down rain and, you know, like wearing flip flops. I don't know. It was scary. <laughs> but making it through that made it made it um, clear that I could, for one more meal, live without sugar and that extra snack. So I did that um, and continued to work the steps. And um, step four and step five, I was used to them. I loved those steps. And my previous work in 12 steps, I... I uh, put those off, but I was so amazed when I finally did the fourth and fifth steps that uh, how much nicer life is, for lack of a better way to describe it. I mean, I always thought that I was just a terrible, broken down person, and what I found through steps four and five is that I have some problems, I have some character defects, I also have some character assets, and I have some work to do, and I can take action, and there's plenty of people in the program to show me what actions to take, and then I can heal, and I did that. And um, and part of that actually uh I was abstinent for a year on that first food plan and I got more honest about what I was eating and my meals were big and they had a lot of things in them that were repeat offenders and a lot of stuff that I continued to obsess about. And I just said what I have learned to call the half-assed willingness prayer. And that was, God help me remove this from my food plan. I don't really want it from out of my food plan, but I know that if I don't, I'm doomed. And so I did that, and um, in December of that first year of abstinence, I changed my abstinence, and I gave away flour and grains and starchy things. And um, that's just my story. I can't eat those things um, and stay in a normal-sized body. And I really, when I gave those things up, I became normal-sized. Normal and I really, that was a scary thing, 
That involved throwing clothing in goodwill bags and never looking back. It involved being attractive and to other people that weren't necessarily attracted to me before. Um, I had never dated um, in high school or in my early 20s. I was 30, single, and, you know, with no dating history. So I started dating in OA. I had a sponsor that helped me work through that. I jokingly say that I dated 90 men in 90 days because I had lots of, uh, I had to make up for lost time. And, um, and I worked through rejection, rejecting, feeling less than, um, you know, having sex, um, showing, being naked in front of people. Um, so those kind of things started to happen. Step six and seven were really important in my recovery. I had a sponsor who um, showed me a specific way to work them where I, I write at length ad nauseum about the way that the character defects had helped me in the past, how they saved my life, then how they had outlived their usefulness and how they were now ruining my life. And then finally, how would it look if they were lifted? What would my life look like? And six and seven helped me work through a lot of things. And um, I'm, I think I'm getting a little short on time. So eight and nine, another important, uh, more important steps for me. Um, I had a really difficult relationship with my mother. And I wanted to ha- I wanted to make amends to her. So at some point I moved back to Washington, D.C. for the summer to stay with her. And she was very sick at the time. Um, and we planned her funeral. We had very intense, real conversations. We were very close. Um, and we mended our relationship. And um, she ended up living five more years. So that was good. Um, and then later, in abstinence, I had to go back and help her pack up her house, move into a nursing home. Um, she had, uh, she had, she was ravaged by this disease. She had, she was morbidly obese. She had diabetes. She had lung cancer. Um, she was uh, very sick, and she did not die a pretty death. And so, um, but I was glad to be there for her during that period, and I was glad that we had healed our relationship. Um, I have to make amends to myself because I have kind of torn up my body from being morbidly obese for a long time. So. Um, I'm trying to love my stretch marks and my flabby skin and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to accept my body as it is, which can be difficult. And um, all that stuff, I guess, is is a good way to work on that is the 10th step. I had, a, um, another, again, my sponsor helped, showed me this really specific way to work the 10th step. And I would uh, write out the third step prayer, write out all my fears and resentments, uh, angers, and then write out the seventh step prayer. And I call her and read it to her every morning. And through the period of through a period of time, basically what she told me was, if you say abstinent, you know, abstinence, sobriety is going to creep into all areas of your life. You're going to you're going to eat in a sober way. You're going to show up in relationships in a sober way. You're going to show up at work in a sober way. You're going to spend money in a sober way. You know, like all these things are going to become great. Right. Well, that was hard to um, that was hard to believe. But I was willing to go on her word. So. Basically, what happened in the 10th step was every time something would come up where my life sucked, I would write about it a thousand times and complain about it a thousand times. And at some point, I'd be willing to take action. And I, um, I liked this sort of a twist in my thinking was, you know, I used to always think I can't. I can't do that. I can't be absent. And I can't do that step. I can't, you know, say, have that conversation. I can't blah, 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 fill in the blank. But the more honest... Uh, response is I won't because for me it's really about willingness it's like I can I I need help I really need help 
in every way, shape, and form. And so it's it's no longer true that I can't stay abstinent. It's no longer true that I can't date, that I can't accept things, that I can't deal with difficult conversations. And so I started to just challenge myself and say, uh, say I won't do those things. And eventually my half-assed willingness prayer would get me into action. And um, and so I took action around just all different areas of my life. I practiced these principles in all my affairs. So um, got rid of $23,000 in credit card debt. I, um, you know, lost 120 pounds. I stopped smoking. I started running. I did four marathons. Um, I started dating. I started, um, I started showing up at work and saying, I want a promotion. And then saying, I quit. <laughs> and then uh, I went back to school full time. Um, I started a new career. I just got my uh, teaching credential for multi-subject teaching. And, um, and now I'm an unemployed teacher officially. <laughs> And um, and I met um, I met my current partner in OA, I mean not in OA but during in abstinence I met someone and I've worked the uh, the program around our relationship and we have a really beautiful relationship so all these things are happening in my life that I never they are indeed beyond my wildest dreams and um, it all started with being willing you know just that first the willingness to go to a meeting the willingness to start working the steps, the willingness to have a sponsor, the willingness to have a food plan, the willingness to stay abstinent no matter what. I always, I just have to say that to myself. If I feel like I'm going to relapse or if I'm going to go off my food plan, for me, my abstinence is staying on my food plan no matter what. And I have a very clear food plan. It's on paper. It's registered with a sponsor. <laughs> it's in the safe deposit box. And I can't just change it on the fly. I have, you know, I do have to make changes when, you know, for instance, when I was running marathons and I was, you know, doing training runs 18 miles, I needed to add a little fruit. Um, but then my knees got shot and I had to stop and I stopped running. And um, it was a lot more fun to add food to my food plan than it was to take it away. But I had to be willing to. And I'm just about out of time. Um, so... I just want to say to newcomers, please keep coming back. And everyone, please keep coming back. I mean, this fellowship is like our miracle drug, right? It's it's our only hope. I've seen people leave program, and the, um, the results are pretty devastating in some cases. Some people come back, and some people don't. Um, some people struggle in program. But if we just keep coming back and we continue to work the steps, um, this is a program of action. It's really about action. That's what I've discovered is like if there's something in my life, if my, you know, if physically I'm not, you know, physically I'm over or underweight, if emotionally I'm over or under joyful um, and spiritually, if I'm, you know, just fit over, I guess you can't be over spiritually fit, <laughs> but if I'm spiritually unfit, then there's work to do. There's some kind of action to take. And, um, and because of the, because of this fellowship, I can take these actions. You know, I first have to find out what they are. I got to ask around. I got to share about it. I got to work the steps and do some writing about it. And eventually I know what the actions are. And then I use the power of this program to take the actions. Um, so please keep coming back. Thank you for allowing me to share in your recovery and uh, happy conference.
Thank you, Grisha. Everybody's been saying it's going to be wonderful, and it was really a joy to hear you. I just want to let everybody know in just a few minutes, the great musical is coming up, so please stay in your seats. We just have a few announcements because we want to make sure you have all the information to really enjoy this weekend. So first, I'm going to call up our wonderful hotel liaison, Felice, who's going to talk about some of the issues uh, about the hotel and uh, general housekeeping announcements.